and welcome back to the Hi-Fi Podcast with Darren and Duncan. I'm Duncan. I'm Darren. And today, um, we've got a great episode for you. Um, we've got a, a really interesting topic that um, we've been talking about a lot lately, and um, one of our uh, great listener questions that we're going to answer uh, in a moment here also brings this topic up, it just kind of reminded us of some of our recent discussions and epiphanies um, in our hi-fi audio uh, lives and what we've been doing lately. So um, yeah, and that topic is is a topic of volume and, and uh, I don't know, the correct volume. You know, the correct volume for every system, for every room, for every recording and yep. understanding you know the differences in in what you get in in larger SPL setups versus intimate smaller SPL setups where details of focus and mm-hmm. I won't start there. We'll we'll just get into it later. But um, anyway, before we get into all of that, before we get into questions, as always, let's start with uh, you know what's been going on. What's been going on with you, man? <laughs> I mean, so, just so, so much, much been this going week on. Yeah, yeah, for both um, of us. So I actually, or we moved the the Dunlavy SC4s in uh, my second listening room, which is kind of like the den part of the house. Yeah. Um, and and I've been spending the past uh, um, two days kind of dialing that room in. And, uh, you know, it's that moment where you... You know, you first set up a system in a room where you never had the speaker and and you start listening and you're like, okay, there's tons of stuff wrong. And then you start yeah. going through the process of, you know, how do I correct this and how do I fix these problems? So the first, I think we, we outlined this in one of our, um, how to critical listen in, in one of our uh, ep- previous episodes and uh and so i started listing the stuff that was wrong um i had uh i had some brightness and almost some like hardness uh which can be due to uh some room reflections on the side walls and um i had a uh a very narrow kind of closed in sound stage that i know the the dunlavies are that's that's what they do and they weren't doing it so i knew i had some speaker placement issues um I heard some uh, some bass issues, some some uh, some nodes that were really standing in the room, and uh, and I could feel those those frequencies in the floor as well. Yeah, in your feet. Um, so, so for for context, um, the 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 Dunlavies are your main speakers, and they were in your main listening room. In mm-hmm. the main listening room, we've described before as having vaulted ceilings, and mm-hmm. it's and it's there's a lot of space in there, and you were able to not only uh, space the speakers far apart, but also space them back from the listening position by quite a bit. And these are sealed, not ported, not rear ported or anything. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you you had them far enough away. And one of the hallmarks of your system in there was this huge soundstage, the huge portrait, hanging portrait of music between the speakers where there's just so much cool stuff going on yep and uh and and relatively like high spl capability um where sometimes yes. we would rock out to some you know rb yeah. and some some stuff in there yep um now 
we've you've talked about that floor in there as being some somewhat of a transducer or a trampoline floor. Or I was something, about to right? say that. I was like, it's more like a trampoline. It's a trampoline. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now you told me that the floor in here is somewhat similar. It's just got a probably a different resonant frequency, right? I well, mean, that's that's interesting. You bring that up because I I actually thought this floor was going to be a lot better. Yeah. Okay. And and because it's it's very stiff. If you jump on it. The, you can tell that there's a lot more, um, uh, um, a lot less give to it. There's a lot less give, and there's more uh, stru- structural support underneath. Yeah. And this is like the old part of the home. That's actually an addition in the the the, the old room and the the main large listing room is an addition to the house. Oh, okay. Uh, this is the original. Um, oh, okay. A part of the house, the dens in the uh, part of the house that was built actually um, around 1917 to 1920, which is what I'm told. <clears throat> and so it's a brick house and, uh, and it's, it's uh, built very well, this part of the house. And so I thought that that was going to be better. And because the way that the, the Dunlavy stands are, are designed, they're, they're basically just pieces of MDF bolted to the bottom of the speaker. And then those pieces of MDF are are on the floor. And so you have, what is that, probably like a foot and a half by by two feet or, you know, maybe 14 inches by like 20 inches yeah. uh, contacting the floor. Yeah. So it's a perfect coupler to the floor. And you know, it's, so it's a I huge always, surface. I think every time we hang out, I, I tell you about how much I hate the Don yeah, Lobby stands. Yeah, yeah. I the mean, the base is how we want to like look for outriggers and figure out how we can change change that yeah yeah you do not want you do not want to make a perfect coupler like that from your speaker to the floor that is not what you want to do anyways i thought that this floor was going to be better turns out that it's almost kind of worse in a way because the frequencies that it resonates at are so much higher they're closer to music yeah frequencies yeah Yeah. versus that one is it's it's you know in the lower bass frequencies and yeah you got some bass issues you got to deal with but but um, this room, I, I was struggling with, um, with, with much higher up, and so that was, you know, uh, an issue. Um, you know, perhaps the, the carpet in there and the trampoline floor kind of took enough base out of your Dunlavies to help, help you integrate the subs even easier, because you were just mentioning to me some difficulty you've run into. Maybe it, maybe it helped suck energy out of them and, and helped with that roll-off or something. What do, you, what do you think about that? Well, I think that when you, when you move the floor, you, know, you can think of it as sucking energy, but you can also think of it as sucking energy in certain frequencies and then adding energy in others. Okay. And so you, the floor is acting as a secondary speaker, which is like right. what you don't want happening. And I actually noticed that when I placed my subs before I had my concrete platforms before I placed my subs on the, uh, I, I placed them on the ground. Yeah, they directly. were just on the carpet. And yeah. I actually had to lower the amplitude when I put yeah. them on the... It was 4 dB or something. Yeah, yeah so yeah. the floor was actually yeah. acting as a big subwoofer. <laughs> it's, right. it's being a transducer. It's moving. Right. So it would have been doing that for the speakers too. But it's only going to be at the resident modes of, yeah. you know, of the, the size of the room and also the kind of the... the um, the overall uh, residence of that floor. Um, and so anyways, uh, dealt with all that, but going back to the system setup is that, you know, I had to kind of go through this routine and every time you go through it, you just feel like, you know, you just got a little bit better at it. And so through the, 
through the past 48 hours, I've gone from sound that I'm kind of thinking like maybe this speaker's not for this room. This room, the size of this room is, uh, I think the dimensions were um, 17 by 15 um, are the, the dimensions for the den. Um, and so that's, that's opposed to the larger room, which is, uh, which is 20 by 19 or 20 by 18. And then, uh, it's, uh, the vaulted ceilings go up to about 13. Um, and then this room has like eight, eight foot ceilings. So, so it's, uh, so, you know, they're a bit smaller of a room. And so the Dunlavies are now kind of hugging, the the side of the um the walls they're very close to the side wall but yeah. when i moved them to the side walls everything just blew up the sound stage just expanded and started to become you know dunlavy like and then so um, there's a there's a a thing that happens when when speakers get closer to each other or wider apart and and that is that they can couple yep. in the mid mid, mid base. base yeah that's right. and so one thing one of the things you texted me was just that the mid base was going nuts in here and it was yes. too much in in the and the byproducts of too much mid base can be obscuring of detail like uh, obscuring of soundstage mm-hmm. like. It can yep. be a problem. Muddiness. Yeah. Um, that that said, sometimes you have syst- uh, set set up situations where there's not enough mid bass. Yep. And you're you're thinking, what can I do? Well, one thing you can do is move the speakers closer to each other. That's exactly right. Yeah. So so you- so the the SC four was obviously I think voiced um, uh, quite wide. And my guessing is that it was voiced between ten and eleven feet. Yeah, I mean the in manuals space. tell us to yeah, and it tells to space you to do that eleven feet apart. Place least, them on yeah. the wide wall and then yeah. space them wide. And when you do that, they they come alive. Um, so for anybody that ha- has uh, SC4s at home, um, you know, c- take note and at least try to space it if you haven't, because they really do come alive. If if you're only running nine or, or eight or nine feet uh, apart, you're really not hearing what the speaker can do. Um, and so such an odd placement, pretty much right up against the wall with a toe-in. And then, I, of course, I have to treat the side of the walls. So I treated the side of the walls with absorption. Um, uh, and that just kind of kills the uh, the main reflection point. Um, and so uh, it's really working out nicely. And then from there, it's just been, you know, inching them uh, this way and that way. And, of course, getting my center image dialed by, by uh, adjusting... Um, each channel, uh, how close that channel is to me. Remember, uh, the speakers don't have to be equal distant from you. Right. That is a myth. It's a myth that we construct in our heads because this is this perfect thing. You need a perfect triangle. I need to get a, yeah, perfect triangle and I need to get a measuring tape and have it within an inch from my ear, each speaker. And now in fairness, it's not how it works. If, if you go by that rule that you don't, that you don't have to have a perfect triangle in practice, what you end up with usually is in the vicinity of 
of a triangle where it's it's not way off. It's, it's not, not like, way off. It's not like feet off. Yeah. Um, we actually have a, a listener question that, that or a listener tip, um, which is the first tip that we've gotten, which we're stoked about. So we'll get to that in a minute. But um, where uh, where it gives us a, an idea of how to set up that triangle first, and then you go from there. And I, I think it's yeah. A great, and then you're gonna have to you just tip. have to break that OCD tendency, and you, you're gonna have to break the triangle slightly. You know, you have people you know, measuring down to the, to the millimeter. And it's not really, it doesn't work that way in the room. Um, if yeah. you, if you get them perfectly in the room, chances are is that the, the soundstage is going to hug a speaker. It's the rare room that is perfectly symmetrical. Like exactly. Like it's mostly, it's not. So one of the best uh, tools that you can have are recordings that have a really solid center image. Mm-hmm. And and you just study that and you play it and you play it. And, and if that image is not sticking right in the center or, or if the right side of it is has a little slightly different quality than the left side, that's when you should be breaking this triangle and moving yep. this, the, the stuff to to make sure you lock in that center image. Yeah, and then they do the rake angle where you're supposed to um, listen to the height of each side. Oh, And so yeah. then, then you look at how high is the soundstage on the left compared to the right. Yeah, okay. And then you can start uh, raking the speaker if your speaker has adjustments. Raking, for like rake. leaning it back. Uh, le- leaning it back yeah. or leaning it, yeah. leaning it, you know, so that it's more um, level. Gotcha. Or starting to have like a rake up on on the speaker, and that will actually start to elevate the soundstage or adjust the soundstage so that the heights are equal. That's a more minute adjustment, yeah. but that's kind of getting into that kind of like you know the Samiko way of, of setting right. stuff up, right? Yeah. So, uh, so the reason you moved these in here is you want to make some space for uh, projects, and PS Audio is is finishing up uh, some design of. Uh, FR30. A great giant speaker, and so um, yeah, you're going to need to to be um, critically listening to that um, in in you know short time at all. Uh, yep. You know before long. So another thing. Yeah. Uh, one last thing is that I'll uh, keep it short here. Um, I'm another project that I'm working on right now is I'm building a custom uh, component rack. Yeah, um, using right. the sorbethane concrete, and then also now countertops for the top of of the uh, for the shelf, the actual shelves themselves. You know what's so great about concrete and sorbethane? Just this whole kind of you know approach is mass and and low frequency resonance yep. of the sorbethane. Exactly. And so through combinations of of this and that, you can kind of like accomplish all of your goals throughout your system. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because mass is a beautiful thing, uh, you know, when it comes to reducing vibrations when when coupled with something that's like an elastomer that likes like a sorbethane that's got a low resonant frequency that you can you can dial in the compression so that it's half compressed so that it has room to uncompress and room to compress and and then you've got the mass to kind of absorb that with with some you know what is it uh just residual like resonance you know and kind of kind of uh taking that energy out of the room and taking that energy out of your components yeah Yeah, converting into heat in the sorbethane yeah converts it to heat so so anyway, what's what's your plans with that? Because it's really yeah, cool. So right? yeah, it's just to um, I'm going to buy certain sized, uh, pre-cut and pre-finished countertops that are made out of beautiful 
woods and um or i'm picking a specific so it's wood. like exotic planed and and sanded and, and yeah and like um probably void filled or something i mean yeah we've all seen these it's kind of a, a cool thing to do now is 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 the whole hunk of you know a, a a giant section of a tree straight straight from the mill straight to the planer and yep. then you know sand it down and and stain it and yeah, so that's the that's gonna the be plan beautiful. is to use. I'm gonna do two levels where the concrete will continue to go up, and then and then another countertop so that I'll have two shelves, and then um, and then it will continue uh, to a piece, a section that will actually be held and and fixed to the wall with hardcore uh, countertop L brackets, and that those will be um, bolted directly into the studs in the wall. And that's where my turntable will be. And when you say continue, it'll they'll be separate. Flush. They'll like be kind of just. It'll be, be visually separate. flush, but it'll be isolated. S- isolated. Yeah. yeah there will yeah. be a small gap there. Gotcha. Um, and then and then the turntable section will be floating with L brackets uh, uh, bolted to the yeah, the studs. Cool. Um, and that's just to get off of the trampoline because a turntable right. and a trampoline. Don't mix. Yeah, you don't want to listen yeah. to a turntable on trampolines. So. And did you decide that you wanted both of your turntables there? And then you, you probably if you if you listen to vinyl in this room, you run some XLRs somehow under the carpet. I don't know. That's actually a thought. Maybe I'm getting ahead of you. Yeah, but... you need to not give me those ideas because I'll do crazy <laughs> stuff. I thought like you had that. said that. Oh, I didn't know. I didn't say that. I said that I wanted two turntables so that I could DJ. Oh yeah. Oh okay. Okay. <laughs> so that great. I could have vinyl, but like you know, have a smooth transition yeah, yeah. to the next one. Yeah. I don't know. Crossfader. Can't do that with two tone arms on a same turntable. No. Right. Right. All right. What do we... uh, Oh, well, anything going on with you? Yes. Of course there is. Of course. Oh, it's been such a busy week. Well, you and I have been really dialing in our amps in this project we've been working on for weeks now, the D115 Mark IIs. Um, Yours and mine are now the most tricked out D115s (laughs) out there, man. I mean, come on. Uh, you know, we, we, you went all out with the TKD and the, the Shinko resistors and, and what else do we have in there? You know, I, the I have a coupling PRPs and, and well, but now we get into capacitors. So, so you and I have been in capacitor land and, um, <laughs> and <laughs> I, land. well, dude, because I am sliding down this slippery slope, it's, it's like, um, I don't know. It's a slide as amusement park where I'm just I'm in tweak mode right now. Like today, I got. I mean, this we're itch. both we're just both tweaking out at. The we're moment. tweaking. Yeah. I, so I have arriving in a couple days, a, a, um, four dual on silver graphite resistors to put into my the, the speakers that you and I designed that mm-hmm. I have at work um, because I want those on the tweeter and I, so there's that. There's uh, today I placed an order another order with parts connection, you know, which is just like my, my home now, my home away from home. Um, yeah, for my flex, uh, bypass capacitors, but you and I, so you and I started with, okay, we decided we were going to do, uh, Mundorf's MCAP Supremes on the, on the four positions of input capacitors to the output stage of the Mm -hmm. amp. 
Um, for a, a little while, we were kind of waiting to see what we wanted to do on the input capacitors. And we had these, uh, I, I had these old uh, rel caps that were uh, underrated for that section. Really, that section sees 75 volts, but something you discovered was on turn on before the heaters pull, you know, sure. c- yeah. come into play. Yeah, I didn't realize the B plus was 300 volts. 300 there. volts in that was, area. I thought it was lower. So yeah. one of the things we mentioned about these these amps were, were that the, it's, it's amazing that they didn't blow up already, you know? And there's evidence on mine of a few times times when things did blow up and he had to like replace this and that yeah but um they had these 200 volt caps on there with little 600 volt bypassers all audio cap theta which are great great caps um but uh but we knew we'd have to replace all the output ones because of the voltage they saw and then through measuring mine and the fact that it wouldn't we couldn't get the dc right we just realized oh my goodness leakage the, it's, so that's the, what happens is a capacitor starts to become leaky, and what that means is that and you the, don't mean actually leaking fluid; it's it's leaking current. Thanks for, right? Yeah, thanks for yeah. clarifying that. Yeah, I don't yeah. mean that's a whole another thing. That's electrolytics, and electrolytics tantalums can, can yeah, leak. Yeah, but um, but no, uh, when a film capacitor, a coupling capacitor starts to leak, the what happens is small holes actually develop in the film, mm. and the resistance uh, actually starts to. Uh, uh, go down, and so the resistance should be mega ohms of a capacitor, right? In DC, yeah. But the but um, if it starts to become leaky, that resistance actually will start to start to drop, yeah. And so that's what happened is that these capacitors they didn't straight up fail, but they started to get damaged and they uh, they started to become leaky because they were exposed to a hundred volts higher than what they're rated for, yeah. So, um, heck, they're a good cap for not for not completely opening up or shorting, right? Uh, given a hundred volts, you know. So you know, we were for, so. we were listening to these amps, and and it was interesting. You weren't super happy with yours. I, you weren't happy it, at all. Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't happy. Um, yeah, and and so so here, what we did was well, all right, we got to get high voltage caps in this area. You know, we already solved yeah. that with the Mundorf M cap Supremes. We left the 600 volt audio th- cap theta bypassers in the, in the spots on the output. Um, but we needed to deal with the input. Um, what I chose originally as, as sort of a placeholder, um, and I wanted to see what I could do with it. Um, I, I was going to go with like dynamic caps. Um, but then I, I remember my positive experiences with Cornell Dubillier caps, the 940C, um, and, and I have the 300, uh, 3000 volt version uh, as a little 0.01 microfarad bypass cap on my speakers at work. I like those Cornells. Those were, those were like little giant killers. Really were, good. Yeah. Very neutral. So, yeah. so I ordered some of those, and I also ordered from Parts Connection um, some uh, Russian military surplus silver mica cap capacitors for bypass mm-hmm. they're in pretty small values so i got 750 or 7250 
Pico Ferret, the biggest ones they have. And and so um, what I did was uh, I put the Cornells in. I realized right away that these silver micas are huge, that there's no way I could fit them underneath that. Like, and so I, I only put one in. There's a spot for two caps per side because it's balanced. And I put them on one, and you told me that, well, because it's balanced, it's actually probably doing some weird stuff because the mica cap isn't on the other Yeah, you want to keep it balanced. You want yeah. to keep the phases equal. But, but I was really excited. And, and enjoying uh you know what was happening with yeah my amp. i went over to your house and i heard that amp. i'm like well well my amp is not this amp right and so what's what's going and on you still and had it, the 200 volt rel caps in your amp. i did yeah and so i um and so i went i went home and i replaced i kind of pulled in out my, your bin and just bin started, started reaching digging with your hands and i found four um uh, uh mundorf uh, supreme gold uh, silvers, silver golds, silver gold. Is that what they call it? Um, yeah. It's both thing. And, uh, and so, uh, and so, yeah, I installed those and I had a uh, nightmare of a day. Um, and you know, because I turned the amp back on and then I lost a channel and I'm like, you know, what's going on? So, uh, uh, I thought I did everything right. And I, I thought I, you know, checked this and that and, and I was over then, here. Then, yeah, we, then, we were we testing continuities. We I were found testing a voltages. Cold solder joint. This is what I hate about when there's an issue. Yeah. Is that what you do is you find you find an issue that you're just like that was it. You know, yeah. like I, I had a cold solder. Oh, joint Oh, here's somewhere. a problem. I fixed right, that. I fixed it, and then you get that rush in your head of like it's going to work. It. Now. It's going to work. Okay, yeah. it's, it was a cold solder joint because yeah. it was it was a really tight spot, and and the leads on the Mundorfs are just huge, and it was just a it just cold soldered on me. I didn't realize, and um, you fixed that, and so I fixed that, thinking that the channel would come on. Flip the switch, no channel didn't come on. The second so the like, second no problem way. that we discovered was the tubes were were oh no they're the same tube. But it, it ended up being the same too. Yeah. But we tricked ourselves. We tricked ourselves into thinking we were, thinking going, we were, we're solving something. I'm, yeah. I'm so tired. I'm like, wait a minute, this is V4. It says V6 on it. Yeah. And we're like, oh no, we swap them. This is gonna work. I mean, it's gonna be delusional. The thing. Turn it like, on. I've been all day. I've been yeah. at on like on my knees working on this amp. Yeah. And and I just now it's like I can't get the channel. Yeah. To go on and with a tube amplifier, this is has me worried because. You know, tubes are pretty hardy, and at least I get, I should get like something out of it. Or what the hell is going on? And and I start to think that you know I must have somehow uh, swapped the phases on on the channel that's not working. Um, I just thought I just kind of crossed everything off the list, and so I'm thinking, well, that's very odd because I've just I've just compared the schematic with what I did like six times. And yeah. at this point, like I have red eyes, I'm so tired, I haven't eaten dinner yet, and I'm hungry, and I'm just like, man, I should just drop this. And um, yeah, you called me, and you were like, I need to take a break. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and so I, what I did was I just uh, I ate dinner, and then I went back and I traced the other channel. And I noticed the other channel did not correlate with the schematic. Didn't follow the schematic. That's right. And the other channel I had just. Traced yeah, on worked. The, yeah, because I just traced where the the old caps were. You just found where they were. Yeah, and I was putting the cap on the top of the board, and so I didn't have any issue in that channel because I had wired it correctly. The other channel, 
because the layout was different, I didn't have that luxury, so I relied on the schematic. Well, that makes sense, right? Well, the pinout, it was just the pin numbers on the tube on the schematic. That's all. Those were wrong. The schematic the pin the is pins wrong. on Yeah, but the pins just the pin just the pin numbers. The pin numbers yeah. on the on the schematic. Yeah. Which yeah. is huge in a Yeah, because well, it, it designates the phase. Yeah. So so I swapped the phase um so it wasn't it wasn't working. <laughs> so I, I swapped it back and boom, I I got it. So uh so it's just uh anyways. Yeah. So long, then you that got was a it. long story. Then you were yeah. then you were exhausted yeah. and then it took you on one of the wilder rides of your ah. of your uh electronic hi-fi equipment thanks design, for mentioning that i don't know how that slipped my experience. mind yeah right yeah so tell these, us about that so i turn it on and i start by listening. the way you needed to go to bed like like right when it started sounding all right like maybe two hours before <laughs> two hours before that so i i turn this amp on from cold the, the caps are brand new and it's it's still kind of like it's warm it's very warm yeah. and kind of like murky and i'm kind of like it might be better, but I'm like, ah, it wasn't the caps. It was something else. Yeah. And within 20 minutes, that veil on the top, like, just completely lifted. And what I was left with was a, an extremely ripe mid-range um, that was overly ripe in a, in a bloomy, not great way. But because the top lifted so much and I was getting so much air that I'd never heard out of the amp... Um, I, I had faith that, you know, that the, the cast would further burn in. And so, um, fast forward about two hours and, uh, and things were just rich and detailed and the bass tightened up. And now I'm like, wow, like this is what was wrong with the amplifier. Um, yeah. was that those caps those were just caps toasted. were toasted yeah and and you you fast forward two hours but i was getting play by play via text and it was like changing every 15 minutes yeah and and i've just... never experienced that i've done a lot of those kind of um i mean tons of brand new caps and listening to them for hours i've never heard something change as quick as the mundorf um silver gold uh did i say it right this time that was yeah right. yeah sure um so or uh, or the concept of one component having such a say in in the way the whole amplifier sounds. I always think that's kind of a testament to to some th- stuff. You know, when you really get stuff dialed that yeah. that you can start hearing the passive components better. Yeah. And, um, and you know, you can hear that around op amps. You can take, you know, you can take a really nice op amp uh, laid out correctly. Uh, and you can start changing the resistors of the feedback, the feedback resistors. And, and if it's a good design with a good power supply and, and the overall design is, is, um, is really performing well, uh, uh, subjectively, um, uh, you can see through all that and it will show the, the quality of the mm. passives. Mm. And so, you know, a lot of, there are a lot of people out there that don't, put much weight into the passive component quality but it really it really does matter and 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 but at the same time the topology of the circuit really matters as well yeah well it was just fascinating to see um your responses oh it's so fun as the thing yeah and yeah. and um you know what i love is is that uh you were able to really devote a lot of attention and just kind of like sit and watch. It was almost like watching a movie. You're sitting and listening to these things 
burning and breaking. Now we all know that 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 caps have to form, that caps have to burn in. Every capacitor comparison in the world out there has them either cooking on a on something to send voltage through them, or yep. with the understanding that you don't listen to it without this many hours of that. So it's it's not a it's not a crazy proposition here. This actually no, it's happens. not. No, it's not crazy at all. There's there's there are objectivists out there that would raise their hand about it uh over it but say it, that you can't that this the amp oh, measure is yeah. the same that, that you're you're breaking in that kind of yeah, thing right. that argument i'll tell you it's not true i uh i worked for siemens and we were worried about the breaking of capacitors let me put it that way yeah um, i actually created a, a capacitor forming uh uh, uh system for siemens oh, for their yeah. uh, we were working on um these uh large voltage uh regulators um, for the standby diesel engines to run the pumps for for uh, a nuclear reactor. Oh, cool! And so what happens is that water when pumps. You, when you, yeah, exactly. Yeah. In, in, to stop a meltdown, like yeah, so if right. the grid goes down yeah. and you don't have power, you need to start up these diesel generators. Yeah, that are going to give you. They're going to give you um, uh, power so that you can run your pumps. If you don't run the pump in a, a reactor. We oh, all know what happens. It melts down. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so um so these so what happens is that these generators pull so much current when they start up. Yeah. That the whole line would just sag. Sags. And so what they do what they've done is they've made these massive voltage regulators that are actually digital regulators. Um it, it, to keep the voltage uh, uh, consistent and to make the line appear as a as a perfect voltage source, and so um, I was I, I actually worked with Siemens uh, uh, with a team to to actually um, bring back one of these older uh, uh, digital voltage regulators. Um, it, it, they're rated in megawatts, <laughs> so this is a they're big big they're regulators. Big. Um, they're big. And uh, and I was actually I worked on a uh, I, I devised a, a setup to form the capacitors before we turned on the system again. Gotcha. And so forming is a real is a real thing. Yeah. And and uh, what's going? I, I'm not an expert on the capacitor construction, but um, but I think that it's uh, it it's complete nonsense to to say that capacitors don't actually change in their qualities. Right. Yeah. So, uh, also this day, you had a little surprise for me. In your capacitor, giant capacitor bucket, you also found four uh, Mundorf silver gold oils. And I was surprised that you didn't didn't put those in your system and that you gave them to me. And I'll be forever thankful to you for that (laughs) because... You're welcome, man. You know... Uh, so, so I, uh, like I said, I had the Cornell Dubilliers in the, in the silver micas and it was, it was really good. It was, it was transparent and it was neutral. It was resolving. It was, there was inner detail. Um, but I came out, you know, I just, I just knew that there was more on the table. I, I also kind of, you know, I have a nice, um, neutral, uh, resolving solid state amp and, as my as my main system amp, and it's I an understatement. <laughs> yeah, it's the constellation. It's a constellation, uh, guys. Yeah. Well, so I wanted uh, I wanted this tube amp to be a fun amp, and and kind of like 
you know, a little more rich and that kind of thing. And um, so I was doing a lot of reading. And it's good that you let me know that you're going to give me these because I was actually like, okay, I, I'm just going to get serious here and drop uh, a couple hundred bucks and and maybe go the silver, just, silver oil route. Just bought a bought a house and did yeah. You know, and so there's we a close lot on Friday. Actually, it's going to be congrats, man. Huge. Thanks, but yeah, I've been through that before, and you know, it's a so I this was my present. This was my I had a spring it on him early, you know, because I yeah. didn't want him going out and spending 400 bucks on caps because i know he would caps Um, he knew i would i was close um before we get on to the questions here i just want to say that duncan and i are qualified to work on tube amplifiers uh tube amplifiers can kill you um yeah and so uh you have to know what you're doing if you're going into a tube amplifier and and duncan and i go through certain procedures to make sure that every time we we get near it that we uh uh uh, drain the capacitors and we're and yeah. that the unit is prepped and then we're also very careful even then uh with these amplifiers so oh i'm scared so, uh, i'm scared both, to hell by it I, I i grab the multimeter and start testing all kinds yeah. of stuff to see if there's any residual voltages um when when we're biasing when we're adjusting the dc yeah the the, the covers off the circuitry's there uh-huh. there's voltages there i'm and it's scared always as hell. when you don't expect it too so so yeah, I've just, yeah. I just wanted to state that again because, yeah. um, because you know, we are, we, we're qualified, but we're also taking extreme precaution whenever we're working on a tube amplifier. So, so if you're not familiar with this stuff, you know, be very, very, very cautious. And we, we do not uh, recommend that you, you work on amplifiers like this at all. So, uh, so just be I would recommend you make friends with an engineer that knows knows yeah, lots. Exactly. I, we do not recommend. <laughs> That's just, what I did. Uh, diving into an amplifier that has 500 volts for the for the first time, not at all. But so anyway, but these these silver gold oils have been burning in for me over the last couple of days, and it's it's night and day. It's it's different, much different than the Cornell de Billier with the silver mica. It was it's like. It's like all of that plus this richness, this harmonics, this uh, great soundstage uh, expansion, the depth I'm mm-hmm. getting. Um, and it's at a really fun point now. I'm still listening to them change. You heard yours change to be more resolving away from the, the richness. And I'm, I'm expecting that too. Um, so anyway, our, our next area of focus i think with these is the bypass caps on the uh, m cap supremes on the output stage um we left those original the one the whoever modded these before had the audio cap theta in in small value in 600 volts um there and we left it um so i think each of us is gonna go try something we were you know so i've got the my flex yeah um from poland those caps on order the k kpcu or something flexing um, out I'm flexing. It's. I think. I think it's going to be a good mix for the 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 characteristics of the MCAP Supreme. I think it's going to give me. I. It's going to continue to solidify that that richness of tone that I'm kind of like after with this project. Cool. Anyway, all right, we got some. uh, That's it uh, with us. Yes, let's dig into these questions because uh, thanks to all of you listeners, we actually received more questions this week than we've ever received in any week and um yeah if you haven't heard back from us we're working on it we're just we're backlogged and and it's just uh 
Wow, it's it's very exciting. We've just yeah. been smiling through it all. We, oh, we love it. This so keep, is great. keep sending them. We're going to reply to everybody that sends a sends an, an email. So just uh, yeah, send them away. Yep. And uh, just to reiterate, our our we're we're um, you can send questions and tips, uh, audio file tips, anything you found that works for you. Music rec- you recommendations. Music recommendations are great too. Yep. Um, send those to hi-fi at outlook.com. That is our very difficult to remember email address, mm-hmm. hi-fi at outlook.com. Okay. So last week, um, we, uh, we, we have one question from last week that we're going to, that we kind of rolled over to this week. Um, and then we have several from other guys. We're just going to get right to it and, uh, and go through these. Okay, the first question comes from Stefan Hepper. Stefan is in the Bay Area of California. Stefan, thank you for for writing us. Um, Here is Stefan's question. I have a question on how different speaker types would fit in a living room. My new house has a very modern living room layout, open ceiling to the second floor. It is 18 feet by 18 feet, but on the right side, four feet are not usable as you walk to the guest room. In the rear, the room is open towards the kitchen. On the left side, it is one big glass window slash sliding door. Besides some room treatment, I'm thinking what kind of speaker would be best for such a room and would love your thoughts on it. I currently have mostly conventional speakers. The main ones are Tannoy, Cheviot, but I also have some Deckware ERRX. Those are the the radial speakers from Deckware. One of them actually. Yeah, very cool. And uh, tiny radials, which, oh, nice. which uh, I have as well. I love those things. But prefer a little more direct sound for my main listening room. I was thinking about open baffle or a line array, but I can't put them out more than four feet from the front wall, and I'm, sure, and I'm not sure if they would work well with no rear wall. I'm also interested in uh, the new PS audio speakers, and it looks like for those the design changed from an open baffle design for mid-high speakers now to a closed box design, and would be also interested in the reasons behind that switch. Um, the other alternative is to have some large closed box speaker like some Tecton Ulfs or the new PS audio speaker. Cool. Well, thanks for the question, Stefan. Yeah. Um, I I like your room. Your yeah, room the room's awesome. Of- potential and yeah. uh duncan and i are fans of rooms that kind of like open up open that open up into other rooms yeah the back wall how, going into the kitchen that's great um, yeah that is it, it's a pressure release it's it's like you don't have to worry so much about the back reflection coming back to your ears and confusing the sound yep yep so you got a lot of stuff going on tall ceilings tall that's ceilings open the second floor is huge yep um that that left side sliding door you know, uh, I'm sure you'll have some some drapes or curtains on there. Um, you know, but not not a huge deal either. It, just the kind of like open nature of this thing is going to make it sound pretty good. We think. So what's interesting is that in a room like that, you can really uh, have a lot of speakers. You know, you're not limited yeah. in in how large you can go. Probably in a room that's that volume or style. Um, yeah, or style uh, exactly. Uh, but Probably the only limitation is that you wouldn't want like, you know, uh, mini monitors or something, you know, you're going to want yeah. something that can move some air, of course. Yeah, it's a big room. So, um, so, you know, starting that off, what, what are you thinking? Well, as far as- um, so, so you, you like the concept of open baffle as do I, um, 
but you're concerned about pulling him four feet from the front wall. You know, if we look at it, if if the wave goes back four feet to the wall and then and then back again another four feet to the speaker, you're looking at eight feet. That's eight milliseconds. That's that's getting really close to the point where the brain. Uh, in some cases, already there, where the brain is is saying, "Okay, this is background information and not foreground information," and your brain will separate that from what you're hearing, and that's that's ideal for open baffle. You you don't have to bring them out ten feet from the wall. I mean, you just have to bring them out until you start activating that part of the the human brain that separates foreground from background when it comes to uh, mm-hmm. musical information. So. Uh, like we said, anything will work great in there. I've I've talked about the the Pure Audio Project speakers as as ones that that I just am, am enamored of the sound of. Today I was listening to uh, space uh, spatial audio uh, open baffles. Um, you know, it's and and uh, there's Magnapan, uh, the large Maggies. There's yep. there's all kinds of you know ranges of the maggies all the way up to the 20.7 which is relatively huge just avoid avoid those walls you know side walls and rear wall with so so, yeah that that presentation is always just great especially for a big room because uh you know the, the size of the image you can get the 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 emotional involvement when there's that much kind of sound reinforcing sound inside there in, yeah. in in a in a in a linear way it's just a wonderful thing to to behold so and i like uh you know i like all types of of ribbons as far as the mid-range goes you know so whether mm. it's a planar magnetic driver or um <clears throat> uh well th- those are my my favorite types of of mids when it comes to some sort of you know ribbon um we've messed around with air motion transformer uh mids and and i actually preferred the um the planers over mm. over those so mm. that's where maggie you know you're going to get that speed but you also have the advantages of the the way that the mid sounds on those is is very much so like at least to my liking and i'm i'm not so much into a lot of like rigid mid mid-range cone materials right you and mentioned so this um and so you know I, I think that you and i have similar um um for sure uh, tastes and uh you know i like paper poly and then planar magnetic um, okay and so that's at ps audio we're doing planar magnetic for the mid-range um and uh those are really transparent like really fast the maggie has that uh ha- has those qualities of course as well um so there's that aspect to it as well. Um, he he asked uh, whether uh, why did we take away the dipole in the mid range? Yeah. And the reason is um, we we still have a rear firing tweeter um, that you can adjust or turn off. Um, but the reason why we we took that aspect out of it is that not everyone has the luxury of pulling the speakers off the back wall as much. I yeah. mean, you know, like here we are in a, you know, in a house in Louisville, Colorado. Uh, it's, it's a fairly, it's not a very small home. And I still have a room where my speakers are pretty close to the back wall. So, so, you know, not, not every, not everyone has the luxury of, of having space off that back wall. So that's just, 
that's why we 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 tried to make a loudspeaker that can adapt to many rooms and many lifestyles. Whether you live in Tokyo or whether you live in uh, you know in the country in United States with uh, massive homes, so um, so you know that's kind of why we did it, and we still have the rear firing tweeter. Um, but uh, but in this space, you can you can definitely explore the open baffle world and and the dipole world. Yeah. Yeah, and and if you didn't want to go that direction, I I've had great experiences with Tecton stuff. They they do paper and poly and silk domes yeah. as well, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's our kind of um concoction. You know, we we like those cuz they have simple breakups and they kind of some tend to self-damp the the breakup areas so they they end up you know integrating with each other well these drivers in a cabinet so <clears throat> i think ultimately stefan um we just think a lot of this room we think that there's a lot of possibilities for you um i i would start looking at two things first of all from the electronics side are the electronics that i have right now what what i want to like end up with and oh, that's a great point and then say yep. okay well what are they and what kind of speakers are they great at supporting what yep. what, what do they want yeah because because yep. your room's great um but mm-hmm. then you can also look at it from a different perspective if you're very flexible on the electronics you can think of it from do i want to set up an an intimate kind of uh lower volume listening inner detail um resolution where everything's there at a lower volume or do i want to rock out you know and um and so i I think you make your decisions from there yep tectons you can really rock out with i I can tell you that yeah and i um two things i wasn't sure the price range and also the timeline so with the timeline um i can't give a release date of the ps audio speakers but we are working on it and um it will very it will be likely that it will be 2021. Um, and then the, uh, and then also with the price range that I, I kind of feel like that aren't that the tectons are kind of in a different price range than some of these speakers we've, yeah, we've talked about. It's a little bit lower. Yeah. It's a, you get a lot of bang for the buck. Yes. It may not be the, the reason why I brought up the 20.7 was that, uh, the mid range and the the upper end capabilities of that speaker, you know, it outclasses itself, you know, in a way as far as the, um, it, you know, for how much that That's speaker price range. is, yeah, yeah, the price range is yeah. outclasses the price range. Um, and so if you're interested in possibly getting into the sub world of getting subs with those, because Maggie's aren't going to really do bass, and you don't listen to like super high SPL, then that could be a fun way to go. Um, what rel subs and Maggie's and, and Maggie's, yeah. yeah. But Maggie's aren't going to be a ultra high SPL speaker, and also you're going to need right? a lot of power. And you need power, yeah, yeah, cur- current, right? I mean, yeah, the, uh, and, and well, actually, uh, uh, you you want wattage, and the reason why I say that is because you really are going to need to put uh they're not sensitive and so you need yeah. you need to swing volts over over okay. that okay and so you actually are after wattage in that yeah. case yeah um okay. uh, impedance wise they're fairly benign um i believe a lot of them are four ohms and if you look at the um 
the plot the plots they're they're extremely benign they're they kind of yeah. look like a resistor in cool. a way until you get up to the upper frequencies and then it starts looking more like a capacitor yeah like, like it, it kind of is a capacitor but yeah <laughs> all right uh thanks stefan for the question hope that helps um yeah and uh and thanks for sending that in good luck with this room it sounds like a great room yeah Okay, the next question uh, comes from Matthew from London, Matthew Kemp. Okay, um, Matthew writes, My question is specific to my system, but I doubt I could be the only one wondering about it as it's a real case of old world meets new confusion. As someone relatively new to the audiophile hobby, I've never experienced tubes or valves as we call them in England, as part of my home audio. Though I was once an active musician and always loved what tubes did for guitar and bass amplifiers. So I'm keen to introduce tubes to my current setup, but I'm not sure if it would make a difference. Given the rest of my gear, particularly my speakers, which are the Kef LS50 wireless, so these are wireless version of the Kef LS50, um, meaning they have actually amps built into them, um, as these are fully active and contain an integrated amp in each speaker, would introducing a tube stage or preamp make the right kind of difference to the sound? And would it even integrate well at all if I'm essentially adding more gain to the chain and potentially having two different volume controls in the same system? I like all of the gear in my setup, especially the Kef speakers, which not only sound good, great, but are a really convenient option for connecting to various sources, streaming from Spotify, etc. And the room correction options really help in my space. I have a typical, typical modern London flat with hard floors and large windows on one side of the main room. Changing rooms isn't a, is not an option, and there are also neighbor, neighbors to be mindful of. I also don't want anything too old school in terms of tube design as I don't want anything that runs super hot or could be high maintenance. I do most of my listening on vinyl and uh, it's there that I'm keen to try the tube sound. Um, So he's got a Funk Firm LSD turntable, a a Gold Ring 1042 cartridge. um, That's an MM. uh, Parasound XRM Z Phono Phono Stage. Uh, and in parentheses says, sorry, Darren, I will get the stellar phono pre one day. <laughs> and then the cafe is 50 wireless. Okay. Um, and, and then to finish up, he says, looking around, I've earmarked a couple of tube options already, including the shit Freya pre, uh, plus preamp, uh, and a deckware tube gain stage. Oh, I'm glad that you mentioned that because I tested one of those yesterday and this is what I was going to talk about. Okay, great. But before making a move, I really want to be honest, uh, like your honest advice and recommendations if possible when you have time okay so he's got he's got wireless speakers and he wants to bring tubes into the mix yeah um okay so i mean obviously it's going to be in the preamp stage and and um so so we're thinking so we're talking about small signal input tubes yeah in general yeah exactly so which are low maintenance and they are low heat compared to output tubes oh yes and long life in long life if you get like a nos tube it's gonna last so we're already talking about you know some of the stuff that you want so yeah a lot of the the negatives when you hear about the heat and the efficiency and the reliability it's usually pertaining to the uh, power tube amplifiers yeah Um, line level line level preamps with tubes are, are are easy to maintenance and easy easy to live with um uh, so there's a lot of 
products that came out to address these these kind of issues and they some of them even market themselves for what they are and and they'll call themselves a, a buffer a tube buffer and um what's interesting is that i know that some of those must be actual buffers and what what a buffer is is it's a it's a stage that has current gain but not voltage gain Gain of one, so it's a, a, a gain of a gain yeah. of one, so no no uh, no gain no gain, and then it has uh, current gain. Um, what's interesting about that configuration is that in order to create a follower, uh, what you're doing in the end of the day is you're applying maximum localized feedback to that device to be able to get to the voltage gain of one, because mm. that's what. That's what maximum feedback is, is just a gain of one. Mm. Um, in order to lower the feedback, right. you would have to go up. You'd have to do one or of two things, either go up in the gain or lower the, the, open, loop, uh, uh, the open loop gain, which in this case would just be the mu of the tube. Yeah. Well, what the... The mu of a tube is is how much it amplifies. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um. And so, so the uh, the disadvantage of running in a buffer configuration is that a lot of people are after some sort of tube effect or some sort of uh, tube sound that it will then you know kind of inject into the signal and then therefore going kind of this. give a tubiness to it, but. A buffer is the last thing I would ask, uh, I would want for that. A, a, a large feedback loop is is kind of antithetical to what people consider the brilliance of tubes or what they can give, which is dynamics and 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 high frequency detail and yeah. And just one to to clarify there, it's not a loop because that would be like a a global feedback situation this is a localized okay way of seeing oh, it oh i see what you but mean. a okay. follower is the maximized local feedback applied okay. to a device um uh it's it's a different way of 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 looking at it so but, how would you describe so you're saying you're going for something and you're not achieving it uh, because it's, just, of the it's, way. it's 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 like a lot of people want to add these buffers to their systems and i just i don't see any reason why you'd want to go with a buffer what you want is a an actual active tube preamp gain that's stage. what you're that you want a gain stage exactly with an attenuator all right let me jump in right so, here so yep. so deckware has both they cool. have something called a z box which is a, a zero gain uh, buffer stage okay and uh he goes into why and and how but today i tested something called the z stage which is a triode gain stage it offers up to 17 dB of gain, I think. Well, what it does is it turns a 2-volt uh, uh, um, input into a five a potential 5-volt input. Okay. And, um, and I had never played around with one of these, um, but there's no negative feedback, and there's uh, you can use an AU, 12AU7 or 12AT7. It's on all the time. It runs lukewarm, basically, and then it's basically just ups your ups your voltage to your amp to the point where you you can lower your your original source and get great dynamics 
I tested it. I actually had it running today on a Luxman uh, M600A stereo power amp. I had this deckware tube stage mm-hmm. on the Luxman uh, power amp, all class A, I believe, and going into our, our speakers that we designed, and it was... Is that a tube amp, the Luxman? It's really good. No, okay, no, okay. solid state. Okay. Um, so, you know, it's this Z stage is a simple circuit, and it's got... Um, he says he uses top grade resistors and and polyfilm and foil caps, and you can actually up, upgrade the capacitors. I think this one was an upgraded one to to the beeswax option and the stepped attenuator option. Um, but it's got, um, like you said, two things. Like you said, it's it's another volume control, yes. Um, but this is the kind of thing where you set it and and forget it kind of thing, um, and and it's always on. And then uh, another thing I was thinking about was this: this won't be active for all of your inputs to the wireless. It'll only be active to whatever RCA inputs that you have to the yeah. wireless, which sounds like it's it's your turntable. Yeah. Given yeah, right. that that you want to maximize your turntable and, and bring the tube sound to that, mm-hmm. I I just don't see how you go wrong with this Deckware Z stage. Where it's it's just throwing a, a twelve AU seven in the mix and increasing your signal to noise ratio and giving you, I I heard it I I was listening to the Luxman amp without it and I was listening to the Luxman Luxman amp with it greatly in, uh, in, like prefer with the Z stage it is a cool okay. cool little thing as as anything that nice. I've listened to of Steve's I mean I'm just I I could go on this guy does things he thinks outside the box and then he he really delivers with uh, a lot of his products cool um i have a i have a another option um so my one question would be um are those analog inputs on the kef wireless uh do they have any sort of volume control after that yeah um, yeah, you have a remote if, control. Well, if, if okay so if you do have the volume control because i believe that's the way they would do it is it's it's a kind of a preamp built into the LS50. So yeah. you already have that, the preamp and the volume control. Um, one thing that you could do is you could try to get into a cheaper, like uh, if you're not willing to go for you know a stellar phono or a more expensive uh, phono stage, you could try to get into a, a cheaper tube uh, phono stage and just do the tubes for the phono stage mm. and then run it directly into the CAF. That's another option. There's there's plenty of um, phono stages for a couple hundred bucks that uses tubes. Um, oh yeah, there's one yeah. called the Bellari, I believe. The Bellari is cool. Um, I've heard a bunch they, of they those. Have, they they use like a twelve AX seven or something like yep, that. Yeah, and um, those are affordable. And uh, and so there's you know, a Giro. The Italian Giro ones are really good. Oh yeah, the phono I one. Giro. I haven't heard of that one. Very good. Yeah, yeah. It's um, Italian so, brand. So um, so what I'm saying, I guess, is instead of introducing a larger signal path, another stage that uh, that is just repetitious. You could just change out your phono stage for something that will offer you a little bit of the tube magic, and then that way you get to minimize the the signal path. The volume control is all through the the calf still, and the tubes are just on the phono stage part. Whatever you do, we're saying so, go for it because yeah, you know yeah, throw some tubes on and in into this mix. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's going to do good things for for not only the LS50s but also your your vinyl rig. We believe. 
but yeah i i can tell you firsthand i i um i've heard a lot of pieces of gear and this z stage was was so cool it got me thinking about oh man i've i've been getting a lot of gear lately from work you know trying to like trade this trade that like buy this i'm like oh man i like this tube stage and all of my stuff is balanced right now and in my system so i can't i can't use it i don't have any single-ended anything right now and so man but if i could the z stage was very cool so neat all right thanks for that question matt appreciate it matthew kemp um from london and best of luck there hope that helped okay we've got a great tip the next the next listener feedback here is a an audio file tip um this is andy west and uh andy is um from Sonoma, California, wine country out there. And uh, he's got a tip and an album recommendation, which we appreciate both. So let's get right into it. Writes Andy, here's a tip that maybe you've heard of, but which really worked for me. I use the compass function on my phone to dial in the speaker toe-in relative to the front wall. In my case, I used to try to figure this out by gauging how much of the inner sides of the speaker you can see from the listening position, but as my speakers have curved sides, this is not as simple as with rectangular speakers. First, you take a heading off the front wall. So I'm guessing you, you look at where the compass is on the front wall, and then you, the compass stays the same. Next, by lining the phone up with the front plane on each speaker, so the side of the phone goes on the front plane of each speaker, take the heading and calculate each individual deviation from that front wall. So it's basically figuring out exactly the angle off of that front wall that you're running. Equalize the deviations from the heading of the front wall, and voila, you've achieved a symmetrical setup. Moving one's head forward and back relative to the speakers is still useful for determining optimum toe angle uh, for your speakers in the room. While symmetrical setup may not be where you want to end up because few rooms are symmetrical, it is a really... Yeah, it's like we said (laughs) before. It is a really useful starting place. And in my room, it works for me. An added technique is to use the laser measure aimed at the tweeters to help determine where the sweet spot is. When the distance from nose to sweeter is equalized, you are sitting at equal angles and distances relative to each, each speaker. Uh, let's uh, comment on that, and then let's get to his album tip. Um, as yeah, I've been I've been wanting to get into that kind of stuff personally. I mean, I've been wanting I need to order like a small little mirror and a laser pointer. Yeah, and I've been wanting to do that because then you can find out the first reflect. You can find out the reflections in the room. Yep. Of of just like kind of model the dispersion with the laser pointer, and yep. boom, you can find you can find where those angles are that's hitting the listening position. Yes, and um, and yeah, I've been wanting to do that now that I'm in this room with with uh, uh, walls that are in close proximity to the speakers. So, uh, so yeah, that's that's cool. It's interesting. Yeah. Andy mentions this because at my house, I've been lately just wondering like looking at this left speaker and i'm sitting in the sweet spot where and i have the toe in how i like it but i'm looking at the inside of each speaker and it looks like the one on the left is just a little bit toned in differently and it was bugging me like somebody did somebody bump into this to the cleaning uh ladies bump into this and it's just like 
uh, and so I've been messing with that and, I, and I'm struggling. Like I'll take out a tape measure and I'll measure the middle of the listening position, right? But tweeter to tweeter, figure out what the center line is, sit there and then, and then look at these, these, the inside of these speakers. Now I have rectangular, you know, flat wall speakers, so I don't have the curved wall uh, situation, but, but it's been driving me nuts. And so Andy, I'm, I'm really glad you have this tip because I have the compass function and I, I'm, I'm actually going to do this. Um, like Darren and I said, and like you said, it's a starting point. It's a lot of times where you end up if you're willing to go outside of this perfectly symmetrical equilateral triangle or, or whatever type of triangle it is that, that you know, to, to realize, to work with the room and work with the pressure modes and the pressure release and that kind of thing to understand where you need to go. A lot of times it's not too far away from where you start. So it's a great starting point to have these things, uh, you know, somewhat symmetrical so that you can kind of go from there. Yeah, and if it's really not working from there, you know, uh, think outside of the box and really, you know, just try some stuff. Moving the speakers is free. That's right. It's free, free and it tweak. can give you the most, it can give you the, the biggest upgrade in the world. It it took you from thinking about, like, should I give Duncan these speakers? Like, <laughs> should I just get these out of my house? To, wow, this is great. And finally, it's like, they sound they sound in some ways better than they did in the other room. Yeah. So, and that was, that was, that was just moving. Just like, yeah, like six inches. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So uh, Andy <clears throat> finishes up here with an album tip. His album tip is Vanished Gardens by Charles Lloyd and the Marvels with Lucinda Williams. Oh, it's such a good album. You know that album? Yeah. Okay. I love that album. All right. I got to listen to it. I'm, I'm not familiar. Yeah. So It's a great one. Thanks, Andy. Appreciate yeah, thank it. You. Andy thank from you, Sonoma, Andy. California. Thanks for uh, sending that tip. Anybody else have any great audio file tips just like that? Send them to hi-fi at outlook.com. Okay, next question uh, we get to is uh, from a listener named Travis Ravel. Travis writes, Hi, my name is Travis, and I'm wondering about full-range speakers. I would love to build my first pair and would love some feedback on cabinet design and selecting a speaker. I like the idea of a 10-inch speaker, and I was curious about Lee Audio, L-I-I Audio speakers. Okay, so he's talking about full-range full drivers. drivers. Crossoverless, yeah, full-range. That's what I got, too. Um, yeah. or, or whatever you guys recommend. I would love something high-sensitivity to use with tubes. Yeah. I currently have a pair of Focal Aria 936s with some with an Emotiva USP1 preamp and an Emotiva SPA 200 amp. Thanks for your advice. Uh, I'd also love it if you guys could do some videos of your systems. Oh, that's an interesting idea. Oh, we could. Well, I, I guess we could. Um, you know, because we've been talking about okay, you know, eventually should we be thinking about a YouTube channel for this this podcast? And and while yeah, probably, you know, that would be a great thing. It's just so much it, yeah. work. And it's, yeah, and we want to focus on the podcast and, and do all an that. area but, that we're not experts in. But uh, we'll, we'll think we about do, how to we share could do videos our videos. We could even yeah. do photos on the website or something yeah, like that. Yeah, system page, our, right? Yeah. Yeah, um, so, I think we should. I've been thinking, I've thought about that before. Yeah, let's, we'll yeah. give it some thought. Thanks right. for the input. And um, so, uh, so with this uh, full-range driver... Mentions he he's interested in a in a ten inch driver ten inch. I, so right away I have to say that it, you just have to understand some of the drawbacks from having a ten inch driver. So right. 
So this is going to get this driver is going to get very directional very quickly. Yeah. Um, and you're a you know Duncan's sitting on the other side of the table here. He's the he's the uh, the full range expert I'm here. The full so, range guy. So uh, from there, that's what I my conclusion well, right. is that you know you got to be careful with that. There's a reason why uh, a lot of the full range drivers are going to be a bit smaller so that they can have proper dispersion and reproduce uh, and have good high frequency response. Um, and so what's what's your take? Yeah, well, my take is the same. Um, my my full range drivers, uh, crossoverless drivers, speakers that I have are four inches. And the cabinets are huge. They're seven feet, you know, yep. and, and they're... But, um, and you get bass out of it. I get really good bass. Yeah, you get bass. Things. You know, yeah. so so that's the that's what these these guys they they use small drivers, but then they horn load the bass yeah. in order to in, to in order to amplify the bass and get bass response out of that driver. And you're still looking at speakers that can be 94 to 97 dB in sensitivity. Now, the downside of trying to get bass out of four inch speakers is that uh, two things. Well. Well, the main downside is that is that in, in a lot of cases, in a lot of uh, setups, you're going to have this driver performing large excursions. And as we've talked before, any driver it, it becomes less linear the the more it's 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 excurting. Um, the great thing about horn loading is that is that you actually get the same SPL with lower uh, excursion of the same driver. It's actually kind of one of these magic things where you you put a tone through a speaker, look at the driver in free space, put it in a, in a sealed box, look at how much it it moves, then put it behind or in front of a horn, and and it and it it just brings the excursion down with no change in volume. It's really fascinating mm-hmm. kind of uh, phenomenon. Yeah, this is what you know. Paul Klipsch uh, studied and was so into was um, minimizing excursion and, and minimizing THD uh, because of that. Now, this said, Lee Audio are kind of the leaders right now in, in developing different types of full-range drivers. And... Um, I know that Steve Deckert of Deckware has been gushing on the forums lately about the brand new Silver 10 drivers from Lee Audio. So I was familiar with the Crystal 10, which is their 10-inch um, full-range driver. They also have a, they have a range of drivers um, at Lee Audio. I really love what they're doing. First of all, they're carrying the torch for this kind of approach of high-efficiency um, they have some some little um, desktop speakers that use like tiny little Mark Audio drivers, and then in this snail shell horn design, uh, it's super cool. Um, but they they also have their own uh, ten inch the the Crystal Ten. They have their twelve inch. Um, they have uh, eighteen inch full range speakers. And again, what Darren said, it's just going to get more directional and a little little harder to manage and harder to get that floating image between the speakers. When well, you've got them like that, the driver is actually going to break up at that point in the audio band. It's you know, very it, true. It, it, it's physics. It's yeah. it's going to break up. Driver so break up. You look at the the response characteristics in frequency response and THD. Remember, you have to mind THD as well is going to skyrocket up there right around the breakup point. And so, you know, I just can't imagine. Um, just my opinion and my advice is start eyeing. 
something maybe smaller. slightly smaller. And then uh, think about bringing an active sub into the mix. It's okay to have a sub that takes over at at 100 hertz or so oh, yeah. and goes down. And you haven't even heard my my full rangers with the Rypol sub. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I never sure played that great. for you. No, you it's haven't played great. that. Yeah. But, but, you know, think about something like that and then sticking to a, a smaller driver because the, the upper end... Uh, performance is going to be so much better with a smaller driver. Also, I'm looking at the price of this new Silver 10. It is $1,199. It's it's their reference driver. It's 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 a lot. It's a 10-inch driver, so you're thinking, it's got a wizard comb, but you're thinking about, okay, I've really got to go all out. This sounds like a giant project. Um, if you look at their Silver 6, it's a 6-inch full-range driver for $200. I would be thinking about the Silver 6 or their Crystal 6, which is uh, $500 uh, each driver. And then like horn loading that or something? Yeah, yeah. Or yeah. or open baffle. Think about, uh, go, go over to Kane Tuck Audio and check out their Betsy shape of their baffle mm-hmm. and, and the fact that they put it near the floor and it couples with the floor, but you get this floating image above the speakers. Actually, it's it's not like it... It's not like you get some kind of. I mean, you're looking down on the speaker a little bit, but what you're looking up, you're looking up to the sound. It's it's a really good presentation. So, um, you know, like you mentioned, you're thinking about high efficiency and, and kind of matching that with the electronics. Uh, that's what the deckware community is all about. So go check out the deckware forums, see what they have to say about the Crystal Six and the Silver Six from Lee Audio. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a few people doing full range drivers, you know, that that are not the traditional Lowther and and uh Voxative and and uh and those companies are doing great things too, but um you know, Lee Audio I feel like is 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 really pushing the boundaries these days and I, I, I like them. So um great. Cool. Thanks for that question. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Travis. That was a wonderful question and, and I just love that spirit of kind of uh the idea of DIY and y- you know me. I, I've I've always made my own audio stuff and and it's just a really rewarding way to do it. So He's best of luck with that. Thinking about a set amp or something. I think so. Yeah. yeah. I mean you should. It sounds Definitely like should set be. territory. Yeah. SET single ended triode. Okay. Um that was Travis Ravel. Thanks, Travis. Next question comes from a listener named John John Wang. Very cool question from John. Uh John writes Hi, I love the show. I'm a vinyl junkie too, and I wanted to know what you think about current sourced amps. Do you think it'll be a trend from now on for phono stages? How does it compare musically or mechanically with regular voltage sourced phono stages? Sure. Now this is all all you, because I don't know anything about this. So um, current input uh, phono stages um, are a, a technical word for that is transimpedance input so you have like a voltage input which is is a standard voltage gain which means that you put voltage on the input and you get voltage out okay um hopefully a higher voltage or if that's what you desire hopefully because these cartridges Uh, don't create a lot of voltage right (laughs) you do want a higher voltage coming out of it um and then a trans impedance amplifier means Current going in equals voltage out. Okay. Interesting. So, so there's an actual... Uh, so it's a transimpedance because it would be voltage out divided by 
I-N, because it's always your out divided by your in, right? That gets you your gain. Okay. And so transimpedance gain is in ohms. So it's ohmic gain. Interesting. And so that's what is happening in these stages is that you have a transimpedance amplifier directly on the input uh, for a moving coil. Now, you can't use a transimpedance amplifier for a moving magnet because the source impedance is so high. Okay. It's not really what you want. Okay. Um, but moving coils uh, have such a low source impedance that it's a, it's a perfect scenario for a uh, transimpedance design. Um, and so, and so um, that's ba- essentially what it is. Um, and so you're okay. taking... You're taking the current uh, that's going in, uh, that's flowing into the stage, and you are amplifying that uh, into a voltage. Um, what are the benefits of it? Uh, wh- so, what, uh, what can so, that do for you? So, there's a there's a few there's a few benefits to it, and, and that is is that the it so the lower the output voltage of the cartridge, usually, and I say usually because it's not. Not all the time, but but um, usually correlates with how low the impedance of the cartridge is. And the lower the impedance of the cartridge, the more compatible it's probably going to be with uh, transimpedance stages. Okay. And the more, uh, so the more gain you're going to actually get out of that stage. Wow. And okay. so what's interesting, gotcha. it's what's, what's interesting is that the lower output cartridges are actually more compatible and get and more better gain suited, out of it and yeah. better suited for um for transimpedance designs so so getting into the transimpedance world opens you up into not being afraid of the 0.15 you know uh super low millivoltages 0.15 millivolt output cartridges yeah. and stuff well they're no longer low output they're low they're they're high current output <laughs> yeah, so they're you know, actually so, high output in this so situation. Yeah, in this situation, it's actually easier on the stage, and so, yeah. um, and also impedance refers to um, can be correlated with noise, and so uh, it it does depend a lot on how that amplifier is configured because you could put a noisy amplifier and then make a transimpedance amplifier out of it, or you could have a low noise one. But if you have a low noise one, um, because the source impedance is just that really, really low impedance cartridge. You're not going to use a, a thousand ohm cartridge with, with it. It's going to be more like a, um, what would be ideal would be like a four or five ohm ortophon or something. Um, because it's such low impedance, it's also low noise. And so wow. low noise is it, low noise with, with being able to convert that, um, that signal from uh, from a, a current to a voltage in a very low noise fashion is one of the advantages. Um, now, uh, from that, I would have to say we could step into um, oh one one more advantage uh, that just comes to mind is is that uh, the input to this amplifier would be what's called a virtual ground. And so it's very low impedance. The the input it would it looks like ground what huh. you're driving. Huh. And so one of the advantages to that is that you're also you're a little bit immune, more immune to noise and interference with a design like that. Wow. Um, as long as there's been treated correctly in the design and that the design is done in a certain way, 
Um, you know, cause noise interference with phonostages. I mean, that's like the first thing that comes to mind when you, when you think about phonostage problems, I mean, just yeah. because the nature of what it is, hundred percent, you're, um, because of the, the RIAA curve, um, if you have a stage that has 72 dB gain, something that you would probably want if you have a 0.2 millivolt, uh, cartridge. Um, so that is 72 dB at one kilohertz. That's at one kilohertz. Now, with the RIAA curve, it means that at 20 hertz, it's almost 20 dB higher. Whoa. Okay, yeah. so add 20 dB. So at 20 hertz. That's a good point. So at 20 hertz, that stage, that 72 dB stage, has, 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 um, has roughly 92 dB of gain, which, which translates... That's 92 dB, you think. That's well, almost four times the amount of gain of your power amplifier. So oh, no, no. That's the noise of four power amplifiers added to itself. No, it's more. It's way more than that. <laughs> it's more than that. Yeah, oh, it's way more. Because we're in the dB sta- scale. Oh, it's exponential. It's not linear. Yeah. I wasn't thinking about that. Yeah, so so oh you know God. what that translates to is, is roughly around 33,000 times oh voltage God. gain. Yeah. Wow. In in yeah. in in the thirty, you remember thirty dB is is roughly thirty times. You're right. You're right. And then so, and then by the time you get to ninety, it's around thirty to thirty three thousand times. And and you're amplifying noise all along that way. Yeah. And, and that's why it's so hard to make a a phono pre. That's one of the harder things in analog design. Mm-hmm. Is because you have to do incredible feats of gain with with vanishing noise, right? And so that's one of the advantages is that because it's such low impedance, you do have some advantages with with RFI and stuff. And then again, a lot of stuff depends on on how does that amplifier, how, what's the slew rate of the amplifier, and how is it grounded and the yeah. layout. But yeah. but uh, but in general, it does make you slightly more immune to those kind of things. So it's now, like theoretically, it's kind of a, a great idea. Uh, well, we haven't gotten to the disadvantages yet. Oh, okay, great. So there is a massive, there is a massive, uh, uh, drawback. Um, What's that? Uh, well, uh, there's a few. Uh, first thing is that the, the cartridges that are gonna, that it's going to work with, with stages that are on the market like this, that are transimpedance, um, they're very, they're, they're kind of like, just like set the, a lot of the transimpedances are set. So, so what that means is that if your gain is just kind of set for a single gain, um, like you have a, a moving coil gain and then maybe you have an MM gain, um, the the moving coil gain, if it's just a transimpedance input on it, will the gain varies depending on the cartridge you hook up to it. So it's not fixed. It's it's dependent on the source impedance for the gain. So in a fixed situation, you're really limited to ideal conditions with one type of cartridge. Uh, or with, or with a like cartridge. A, a family of that impedance type. One impedance but of the, a cartridge. But one yeah. problem is, is that the moving coil impedances will vary from about 4 ohms to about 30 ohms, roughly. Mm. And they go a little bit above that even. But generally, of the big brands, um, mm. Dynavector has a cartridge that's uh, that's widely used that's actually 30 ohms. Um, and then, you know, when you get down to Ortofon, like a- A90s and A95s, that's like 5 ohms or so. And so you have a, you have a, 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 a capability of having a 6 times... Um, uh, multiplicative yeah, window difference window between of different 
between between yeah. those cartridges. And so you can have the the gain in that stage could possibly vary by a factor of six wow. on you. So so that's not good. It's not easy to you need to be careful how you mate your cartridges yeah. with a trans impedance stage. Um, even if they do offer some flexibility, you still might not have enough to cover your Dynavector. Because remember, it's the opposite. It's that now the 30 ohm higher output cartridge is the it's harder good. one. Yeah, it's a harder one to drive. Yeah. So you're going to get less. And gain so, um, and so, you know, there's that drawback. And then we get to the big, the big drawback. And the big drawback is that uh, that impedance isn't stable versus frequency. And so oh. the frequency response varies a little bit. Wow. More. Okay. okay. Um, and so when you when you get it, like you have to draw and look at that graph. Well, you know they don't they don't actually spec those those graphs. But imagine uh, impedance versus frequency, like a speaker. Um, uh, you know is is usually measured, uh, and so the impedance isn't going to be flat. And a lot of a lot of uh, uh, you're basically dealing with a coil, so it's it's inductive, and so it starts to rise. That impedance starts to rise with frequency, and so what that translates to is that if it rises with frequency, the frequency response is going to drop. It's going to drop, yeah. And right. so uh, and so that's just another drawback. Again, it's not a um, you know it's not going to uh, uh, it's not a huge huge problem. It's just compared to the voltage. Uh, uh, gain stages, it is one of the major drawbacks of trans impedance design. So I guess with those two nails in the coffin, I, I, I want to say that I'm, I'm personally a big fan of trans impedance designs and I've heard, I've heard them sound absolutely incredible. Um, I'm not a fan of people getting into it um, and, and wanting an you know an easy compatibility and all that it's just a little bit more tweaky it's it's, gotcha. it's you gotta ha- make sure your cartridge is is fit for this stage um, and that you're you're gonna get enough gain out of it um, uh, so you do you do have to just be careful about that and so with that to answer your question I do not think trans impedances are just like taking over the market. Um, I, I think that they're a stage that's becoming slightly more popular because uh, because they obviously they do sound good. I've heard them sound excellent, and so um, that's kind of my breakdown. Is that I'm not taking over the phono stage market in any way? Voltage uh, gain stages still have some massive advantages, um, like frequency response and um, and gain um, independency. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, so th- those kind of things, um, uh, uh, you know, are kind of. That's just how I, f- how I feel about the uh, gotcha. how the trans impedance designs. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yep. Thanks, Darren. Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks, and thanks, John. John, for the question. Uh, really appreciate that. Hope that helped. Okay, we're gonna go to one more question from uh, Jay Parafina. Uh, Vern uh, Vachaska, we got your question this week. You mentioned that uh, it's a question for perhaps next time we have Chris on the show, so we're going to bring yours up the next time we do, which hopefully will be soon. We want to have yeah. Chris back for great. part two of our speaker kind of uh, extravaganza um, podcast. Um, but we'll do uh, Jay Parafina, and then uh, we'll finish with, with Aaron Peck because Aaron's question is about uh, listening volume. And that's what we kind of want to finish the show just talking about as, as kind of our, 
you know, theme for the show, I suppose. Um, but Jay has a quick question about dealing with windows. Um, Jay says, uh, here's my question. What is your advice for dealing with windows? I feel like no matter what speakers I try and how I position the speakers, the soundstage kind of cuts out where the windows are. Is that my imagination? Is there a good way to deal with windows? I've read stuff online, but the information is all over the place and I'm hesitant to drop money on acoustic treatment to put over the windows if that actually won't help. After hearing your podcast on subs, I'm curious to get a sub. Any advice on a good sub that would be typically used at low volumes? I know you all recommend Rel, and I just started now digging into their subs. Um, and then he goes on to to show his uh, his uh, stereo system. It's it's a lot of good stuff. He has a Techniques SL 1200 turntable and cool. power amps and Adcom GFA 555 uh, Mark II. Um, all good stuff. Uh, Vincent Faux, uh, Phono Stage, and um, yeah, cool stuff. And he shows, uh, let's see, he says, I live in what I believe is considered an Edwardian style San Francisco apartment. I could be wrong. I'm not very knowledgeable with uh, in regard to uh, SF architecture, uh, but I'm certain my apartment was built in the early 1900s, um, but after the 1906 earthquake. And this is an image of his apartment. Um, Okay, Jay, thank you for the question about windows. Um, here's here's my thought, just starting with it. I approach windows the, the same way I approach any any wall. Um, is to, if, if I'm dialing in a system and I've got a system in there, I want to know what are the characteristics of this wall. Uh, I tap on it. I see how solid it is. I, I, I try to understand, I thump on it. I try to understand how solid is this? How resonant is it? What is the resonant frequency? What is the resonant yeah, frequency? Yep. And, and I'd say the same applies to windows. Is it a single pane window? Is it double pane? Is it triple pane? Are you, are you tapping on it and hearing a, large, a higher frequency? Whatever you're tapping on, you're, you're kind of listening to the frequency, uh, the resonant frequency of this window, and you can imagine that that would get excited by certain uh, sonic frequencies in the room. Um, now, now, how stiff and how loose it is could ha- have a bearing on whether or not it will then retransmit some of that, uh, that energy out. But um, all of that said, overall, I've... I've haven't had the most negative experience with with windows just in the sense that as long as they're relatively modern where the double pane that kind of thing I, I I haven't found I'm I'm conscious of them uh I might take that as an opportunity to put to put curtains over and to have have an an absorber in terms of room uh treatment and an absorber in that location uh, cheaply because I would have done that anyway. I have curtains over it, but maybe I'll get thicker curtains so that it acts as some sort of high frequency absorber. But I've also been in situations where windows have been behind speakers and it can help kind of be that, that wall that projects some, some great energy, you know, in, in my direction that's actually beneficial for the whole sound stage. Um, so so those are my thoughts. What do you think, Darren? What, uh, so the way I approach windows is that um, I know what that window is going to be like at high frequency. It's going to be a reflector. 
Um, right. It's glass. And so uh, you're going to want some, you know, most, I, I think it's reasonable that you'd probably want some blinds anyways on the window. And right. so you could put some blinds there at risk that that base might might actually excite the blinds and you might get some buzzing. So just be mindful of that. Maybe get some some blinds that are fabric based. Um, uh, and well, there's, then, and then there's from, curtains and blackout curtains and that's yeah. two levels of curtains that would be huge in terms of dampening. That's the, what I, I usually have, you know, like, uh, like what's behind me here, which is like a, um, a, a, uh, I usually have some sort of curtain over it. Yeah. You know, or, uh, I, I don't know. I, that's well, a pretty thin it? fabric. What do you call this? Oh, that's, those are curtains. So that, yeah, it, like a, it's a thin fabric. I, I recently did blackout curtains for my daughter's room. Those are nice. And, yeah. and it's two levels of, of curtains, right? So you can choose to move the blackouts aside and you have the normal curtains. Yeah. The, the benefit of curtains is they're set off of the reflective surface to the point where, and we mentioned this in previous podcasts, you don't want to absorb right on the reflective surface. Yep. And so we're not talking about sticking foam to your windows and ruining the window. A curtain stands off and allows the the wave to uh, not only pass through the absorptive uh, uh, curtains already and slow down, but when it when it reaches that boundary and it's going to reflect, it, it goes from an energy maximum to an energy minimum, back to an energy maximum when it comes off of the window. So it's always best to absorb waves you know, st- stood off of a couple inches off of their reflective surface. So it's a really effective way of, of dampening that. Yeah, so that's that's essentially how I, I approach it, is that I want to make sure that, that I at least have the option of, you know, at 10 kilohertz having some sort of absorption, which doesn't take much at 10K. Now, the, the just, great thing about curtains is when you said option, that got me thinking, you can always move the curtains. You can yeah. pe- you can peek them open a little bit to let a little more in. Yeah, it's almost like a variable absorber that you're creating with mm-hmm. with curtains in a window. Um, mm-hmm. Where if it's too absorptive and you and you kind of like you're listening to music, but you sense this kind of hole on the right side, maybe you're absorbing too much with the curtains yep. and open them up a little bit and just uh, you can experiment with that. And audiophiles are introverts, so you know, like you might want some pretty heavy shades on your <laughs> yeah. windows, anyways, and <laughs> right. lock yourself in your in your room and listen to records, you know, all day. No. <laughs> well, he's in San Francisco and, you know, California lockdowns and stuff, you know, you're probably, maybe you're locked in already. So, <laughs> but yeah, you know, I, I, yeah, I usually mix, um, try to keep it practical. You know, I'm not putting, I'm not putting absorbers over my windows. I need, I right. do need sunlight. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> and so, uh, and so yeah, like curtains with blinds, that's what I do. Yeah. Um, you know, the greatest thing about it is that it's just you've got a little bit of variability in terms of how much you open it and how much you close it. And uh, and, and if mm-hmm. you think about uh, installing, I, I think what I did was I got a curtain rod that has two curtain rods in one. So it's these L brackets that come off the wall that have two notches and it's meant for the blackout shades. So it means it has a normal curtain and then the blackout curtain. So that, and, and the combination of that is great absorption and uh, so anyway, I, I would think about that um, when it comes to to your soundstage, and I bet you can find a way to dial it in so that it it, it kind of come leaves your 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 mind or your ears. We um, don't think it's all in your head. I think it's it's definitely a reflective boundary, but um, but it's 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 a very manageable one. So 
Cool. All right. Thanks, Jay, for the question. Good question. And uh, here we go. Um, I'm going to read the last question. Um, and this one is about the topic that we just kind of wanted to to go off on. Okay, so Aaron's question. Um, actually, Aaron asks two questions. We think the first question uh, that Aaron has, uh, we're going to save for when we have Chris back uh, on the podcast um, because it's it's about uh, uh, streaming and and uh, and wireless speakers. And um, we talked a little bit about wireless speakers uh, earlier in the podcast with another question, but um, but Chris is is a real. Um, junkie with with uh, learning about you know the the capabilities for streaming. So we're we're gonna save that part uh, for later. We're gonna use uh, the second part, the second question from Aaron. This is Aaron Peck, by the way. Um, and uh, and that question has to do with listening volume. And uh, we're so glad that Aaron asked this question because this is something that Darren, you and I have been talking about lately. Yeah, just recently. Yeah. Um, okay, so we'll just get right into Aaron's question, then we'll we'll just go off on um, basically what's been on our minds regarding uh, listening volume here. Mm-hmm. Question I have is around listening volume. Most of the time, I have uh, competing things going on in the house, which require me to listen at lower or medium volumes. At what dB does a hi-fi audio system need to be functioning at in order to make the investment worth it? Great question, Aaron. Um, again, this is something that that we've been talking about because the experience is so different when you have a system dialed in for low-level listening versus a system that has higher SPL capability. Um, I'll, I'll just start for me. Coming over to your house in, in, when your system was in the bigger room with the bigger ceilings and, and, and the speaker's not that much farther apart away from you, but a little bit farther. Um, I always enjoyed having your house system as like a way for me to experience the same music that I was listening to on, on like a little bit bigger scale, you know, a, a more impactful. Um, and this was due to, to us kind of cranking the volume a little bit more, I think in your system, my system at home, I, I can identify with Aaron a bit, uh, you know, I actually live in a condo um, right now. We're about to move into a house, but the, uh, the the condo shares a wall. My system is right up against this wall. I, you know, I, I feel for my neighbors. I, I don't try to push it too hard. It is good construction to the point where I've never gotten a complaint about volume, but I'm always volume conscious. And so um, a lot of what I've always been doing is... is, is kind of optimizing the system for low level listening. Um, and, and so, and so it's almost like, it's like a yin and a yang or, or like a different color of, of the same music that I'm used to when I, when I would bring it over to your big system and we could play it at a, at a, at a nice volume where it starts, you start feeling it and stuff. Um, I, I'll, I'll stop there. Those are just kind of like where I'm at, but, but what do you think about the well, differences between a low level listening situation and a high level. So there's there's various things going on here. First thing is that you may have a volume constraint like you you just mentioned like maybe you live in an apartment and you can't turn it up much. And so the question was is it worth um 
is it worth investing in hi-fi gear if you can't turn it up? Um, yeah. And my, the answer, my answer to that is quite simple, and my answer is absolutely. Um, Low-level listening is so fun and can be so engaging. Um, there, there's gear out there there that doesn't do it quite well. Um, yeah. And then there's gear out there that that completely crushes that. Um, I'm a fan of of Harbeth uh, P3 ESRs for very low level listening. Uh, yeah, they just sound very full, and and all the detail is there. Um, I do find that two power amplifiers excel at very low volumes. Um, uh, and with the Harbeths, by the way, if you crank them too loud, they kind of lose some of their magic, don't they? Mm-hmm. They do, and yeah. and some of that is to the the physical design, physical driver. You know, it's, it's a small, tiny little it's a small, tiny little driver. Yeah. Yeah. And another aspect to it is is how it's voiced. So mm. think about like where was what volume level did the designer voice that speaker to? Yeah, uh, that's another that's another whole thing too. And and uh, y- you know I would say that probably higher Q speakers will be better for low level listening because they're a bit fuller. Yep, they're you know, full, have fuller that at low 100 dB. hertz kind of peak a little now, bit. Now, we all know the Fletcher Munson curves where the smaller the volume, mm-hmm. actually, the, the less bass and treble that our ears are able to kind of like process and pick yeah, up. Yeah, our sensitivity goes down yeah. on both extremes. So, so, so you know, you that's have a what high the loudness cue, button used to be right. on, on, you know, old receivers and stuff. Right. Bring up the treble. It would actually bass. apply a curve where it bumps the treble, it bumps the bass, right. and, and you would have a, um, a Fletcher. Uh, uh, kind of augmentation. Always a um, strange word for that button, loudness. Loudness, because because yeah. it, it what it does is it 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 reestablishes a somewhat flat frequency response at low volumes. Yeah, how it would sound if it was louder. Yeah. Um. So uh. So my answer is yes. Please uh, don't get discouraged. Uh. Whether you're playing. Um, really loud uh, music for a party, like we we talked a few episodes back, um, or you're wanting uh, below 80 dB, very low level, extreme low level listening. Um, Hi-Fi has something to offer in all those yeah. volume levels. And um, there's just some stuff that you want to avoid. Um, uh, just getting out there, some of the... Um, like Focal and and Bowers and Wilkins, like those speakers, they really come alive. Even Kef really comes alive at, at higher volume levels. I ATC don't, is well, I don't is well known to sound these, better. Oh yeah, at they higher do too. SPL. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't recommend, even though those are, are, are totally awesome brands, Great and I'm sure speakers, there's yeah. there's fans listening um, right now. But um, but they they would maybe even agree with me, like. It, you're not really getting the most out of those speakers if you don't turn them up to at least 85 or approaching the 90 yeah. area. Um, but uh, but something like a small Harbeth, um, can you think of another another great low-level listening speaker? Well, um, when I think of low-level listening, I think of all the detail and dynamics that you want with with a, a lower power output so i'm i you know i'm always going to speaker amplif- amplifier marriage you know and so yeah, i start sure. thinking about single-ended triodes or i start thinking yeah. about <clears throat> single-ended pentode or or simple amps that don't crank out a lot of wattage mm-hmm. and then because i'm thinking of that i'm thinking of higher efficiency speakers so mm-hmm. so really you know 
I have experience listening at low lower volumes to my full range drivers that are in these horn loaded cabinets driven by four watts. Um, you know, and and you know, you you do start thinking about the higher efficiency stuff. So oh, that's a great point. Yeah, I, yeah, that's a cool to get into the maybe a full range driver and um and 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 single ended triode or single ended single ended pentode kind of solution is 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 cool if you're not you know if you're living in the lower 80s most of the time yeah so something like uh you know a lot of people love their their zoo audio speakers and they often pair those with with very simple uh small wattage amplifiers and yes some you know when you go into the zoo audio room at a show they're cranking it and they're they've got some kind of like class d amp on it or some some sort of more powerful amp on it <clears throat> but the majority of the the audiophiles that love these things actually put lower wattage tube amps and probably listen at lower volumes and have a quiet room uh and and the the great thing about that kind of marriage of super high efficient speakers and a, and an amplifier that can deliver everything that you want at a lower volume is 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 this symbiotic relationship and and that's that's it you it's not about whenever you're listening at lower volume and you're losing things you, there there's an improvement to be made there because like you said hi-fi has lots of options for you it has to, something to offer to make no that work what yeah absolutely and and the um I'm glad you brought up the the full range kind of thing because that is what really sticks out to me about what are the merits of of a single ended amplifier and and that low level retrieval that low level of of good ones of of, of a good well designed uh, yeah. single ended amplifier is is just the detail retrieval and that very low level information just seems yeah. to be there now let's talk about uh your change from your main listening room to your den listening room yeah so so that's a that's the second section of this so um so yeah right before i I get into that that second section of 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 the topic of volume um the i just want to point out too that we've recommended the system many times because i just it's my favorite budget system or or entry entry level system it's still still quite a bit of money but oh, yeah. the the p3 esr by harbeth they just released the xd versions that are really nice um and and the sprout 100 the ps audio sprout 100 that combination that will give you extraordinarily good low level it's true it, it's it's so amazing when they're just barely on Everything is there. You get the 3D soundstage. Things are outside of the speakers, and you don't have to crank it. And um, plus a sub, uh, yeah. plus a you know, uh, if if your budget constraints are are there, that the new Rel uh, T0 Mark III is an incredible tiny little subwoofer uh, for what 500, 600 bucks. Yep, brand new. It's nice, and. One. Um, you got that thing uh, dialed in with those P3s, and it's I keep just bringing that system, but it's butt. just one of those systems. Like for the money, it's just yeah. like <sighs> I've experienced it. It's it's incredible. Yeah. Um. So uh. So, anyways, now moving on to the next topic of volume, which is what is the proper volume? Now, let's say that you live in a live in a house where a separate um, building where you don't have to worry about any 
necessarily constraints to the volume, but now what's the preferred volume? Yeah, what what's is the optimum volume? What is the optimum volume? And and the first question would be, is there an optimum volume? And the question, the, the answer I have for that is is yes, there yeah. is because assist, uh, rooms have the there there seems to be some correct volume for a room. Yeah. I'm glad you went and, there. And when you That's when you go too. over that volume for the room, the room starts to like scream at you. If you have ears, you know it. You you know yeah. that you're losing things. You're overloading the room yeah. for what it is. Yeah. And and so I developed a little bit of a theory. I would I, I would uh not say it's a it's a law, um, but <laughs> but a theory that the larger the room is the the larger the the higher the SPL that you can possibly get away with in that room, or enjoy. And, let's say let's say enjoy uh, fully in an audio file yeah, way. Yeah, that's yeah. that's what I meant by getting away with was what what is that volume where you're still happy and the room is not is not barking at you in the sense of having all these room issues that start to occur yeah. and the system starts to just fall apart. And what's interesting about the move recently from the larger room that has a much larger volume, I mean, because of the height of the ceilings yeah. um, and the dimension is larger, um, the the volume in which the system starts to become unhappy in the smaller room is way quieter than, yeah. than the volume in that other room, which the other room could take serious volume. Yes, and you're still kind of like, wow, the system is just cranking. Yeah, and I feel like I'm next to it live stage. Well, and add in your dual 18 inch subwoofers. Well, those might be those might be a thing, but and, and but you know the like, top end is enough. You can tell in the top end, yeah, yeah. where even just the mid range is starting to bark. Yes, and it it will do that. Yeah, I used to think it was the actual equipment, but it turns out that I, right now I believe it's actually the space that the equipment is in. Yeah. It just can't take that kind of SPL. Yeah, because we we noticed that in your den system, there's so much satisfaction from this system at a considerably less volume with the same tracks that we were listening to just days prior yep. over there. And uh and it's it's more appropriate for this room, but uh you know, you you're going by your ears and not by the the number on the dial and like mm-hmm. this is what I'm I'm used to listening to it at um you're going by your ears and and is the detail retrieval as good at this volume or at this volume yep um you I think we've all been at 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 shows at uh you know audio hi-fi shows where um a track changes and the guy who's in charge of the system changes the volume Right, so this is also recording dependent, um, but it all comes down to listening, of course, as always. It uh, does. I just, I just think a smaller space tends to lean towards low level listening being better, and then a larger space and and getting into a very large room um, leans towards being able to pull off really high SPL. Now, uh, one of the things you mentioned was that uh, competing things going on in the house. So I don't know if that's outside uh, sounds mm. that are getting into your your ears uh, that aren't your system. Or the or, street noise or something like or that. Or it could be street noise or it could be like people working in another room and and or and watching TV and it, the more you turn it up, the more they're going to be bothered. Um, but ultimately, when you're able to 
to to say okay this is when you go from that perspective of i need to start with a lower uh, uh volume system um you do want to look at that gear that is that is kind of uh engineered toward high linearity at, at lower volumes and and I just thought of another uh, way that maybe the question is kind of being presented. Perhaps, perhaps uh, he's also saying, "Is hi-fi not worth it at that point? And should I be going towards headphones or something?" Is that maybe an alternative way of looking at the question? Is, you can absolutely take saying, it that he, way. You sure. know, you want to listen to something, and is he saying, "Right, should I be?" When's the is it worth switch the over to headphones? Right, and. Um, I and that's a very personal question, and it's it's a subjective question because I I'm just not a headphone person, um, and it's fine if if one is, but I would still prefer to listen to uh, a system that's very good at low level um, over um, listening to to headphones just because of the spatial the spatial stuff. I had some stacks recently, some great stacks, great. Great amplifier on the stacks. Um, what was it? It was a HeadFi Blue Heaven amplifier that was EL34 tube amplifier for this electrostatic headphone setup. And nice. I had these, yeah, and I, <laughs> it was stupid. And, and I had mm-hmm. these great stacks and it sounded so good. But But one thing I was thinking about is that something about being in front of a system and having the room interact with the system and the sound, the soundstage potential being beyond the speakers and beyond the room, there's so much more of an involving uh, uh, connection with your music. And, and when, when you have it uh, in, in front of you and it's, and it's operating in the sphere around you, um, then, then even the best electrostatic plus, you know, uh, EL34 tube amplifier with a separate power supply. I mean, yep. it's still... You know, with the headphones, it's still it's still you in a place with these things on your head, and <clears throat> and you and you you can move a little bit, and then you hear the cable. I don't know. I, I'm just I'm I'm more into the 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 3D experience yeah. of the of the system myself. Yeah, for me, uh, audio is a visual experience too. Like the vi- visualizing the imaging and the sound yeah. that is floating in the middle of nowhere. I mean, that is like the coolest thing. To me in the world i mean that's really what got me into all this that's it and yeah and headphones do they have good frequency response do they have good detail retrieval yeah of course they have they like better than any system does but but it just doesn't have that spatial aspect to it so we so, see the world in front of us and when the sound is in between your head in the middle of your head it's it's you're not a part of it like you are when it's mm-hmm. when it's in front of you and yeah. it's it's like being struck by something that you're you're facing you you don't have to be you're not looking at your system you you might set up something to look at but having it in front of you is like the way we see the world and so right. it's it's like a more natural way to experience this i feel so like. so that's just um duncan and i happen to have the same opinion on it and preferences but um, but audio is a very personal thing, and it's whatever works for you. So that so if you do like headphones, you, you might want to consider um, a nice headphone setup because it can be really it can be really great. Um, Duncan and I uh, aren't going to talk a lot about headphones on this podcast because we're we're just not we don't know a lot about headphones, and we we're just not that's not our what gets us excited. But I yeah. respect 
people who are really into it. There's a ton of great headphones out there. There's a ton of people on uh, out there in podcasts and on online talking about great headphones. Um, I'll just say mine are, are a pair of uh, Master and Dynamic MD40s. They're they're great for what they do for the price. Uh, you need a nice amp with them, but um, you know. Uh, yeah, Vardy said it, but uh, I, I really prefer that this kind of experience in front of my body, where I'm just kind of facing this and and and, and joining it in in that way, in the same way that I enjoy I join the rest of the world. Yeah. So and I, you know we um, we don't talk about this a lot, so I just you know that's we're probably not going to bring up headphones a whole a whole lot. So um, so uh, our apologies about that. We just we're not that into it. Uh, one other thing that scares me about headphones, um, or, or just something that scares me about headphones, is because the inverse squared law of just having a driver so close to your ear yeah. um, for hearing protection and for hearing loss, it's really not good. And having a transducer that close to your eardrum, is a, is, it, it's massively different from having something eight feet away. It it puts it puts more pressure on your actual eardrum and hearing mechanism than than otherwise. So yeah, so it's just something that that concerns me because I'm uh, you know always very concerned about my hearing health. So yeah. I've always just kind of avoided it. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, you know. Uh, I think I think you and I, especially with you in this new room, um, me I I always listen at low level, and I've I've uh, optimized my system for that, and I've picked great uh, gear that I listen to that I use, including these new uh, D one fifteen Mark two amps that we've overhauled, um, which are just great at, at at low level retrieval and that kind of thing. But but that's that's the that's the essence of it. Um, when you know that that's where you want to listen. You look at that kind of gear, um, and you focus on on things that that can really support that. Yep. Okay, uh, we're getting long here as always. Oh man, we're we're over the two hour mark. Uh, really appreciate everyone that 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 listens to these full podcasts, and and I don't know if you do it like I do, where you you listen whenever you can, and you hit pause, and then you come back to it, but. But uh, one of the reasons why we've we've never been too worried about about our length here is is just knowing that we've got a week for people to to maybe catch up and and so hopefully um, for everybody who's still listening, uh, congratulations you made it. Uh, this is a long one, but uh, we're getting right to one of the best parts of every podcast, which is the album of, of the, the week. week. Yes. All right, so this one actually was brought to my attention from a source that brought another album to my attention, uh, and this is a local guitarist named Eric Wiggs, and I'm so grateful to Eric for for the way that he shares uh, some of his favorite albums on on Instagram to me. Um, but uh, I never would have known about this guy Wes Corbett um, without Eric. Showing up on Instagram, and Eric, by the way, the first time I saw Eric, he was playing bass for a band that I love that's a local bluegrass band. And then he started his own band, and he's never played bass for them. He plays guitar. Turns out he's actually like an exceptional guitarist, and he studied guitar in college. I mean, so mm. for, for me to know him as a bass player to begin with 
I was just like, oh, this guy does guitar. I was like, oh, this guy is guitar. Like he, so um, I want to just say uh, thanks to Eric. And Eric just came out with an album called Vermilion Road um, that that is just uh, streaming on all platforms right now, and it's streaming in MQA on uh, title. Uh, Vermilion, just like you would imagine, uh, the word Vermilion r- spelled and then road. Uh, check that out, Eric Wiggs. Um, but anyway, I saw on Instagram, Eric was was holding a mandolin and he was playing a Wes Corbett song. Mm-hmm. And he was saying, this is one of my favorite melodies from this new album from Wes Corbett. And I've just been geeking out. And I didn't even know he played mandolin. I mean, I bet this guy can play anything with strings. But uh, so I started getting into Wes Corbett and, and there's this new album called Cascade. And so Wes Corbett, Wes is a banjo player. And uh, when I started listening to Cascade, uh, I was just immediately sucked in by the the um, the compositional complexity of each of their tunes. Uh, number two, the the fact that this is a banjo led band that can be called both bluegrass, folk, uh, uh, um, gypsy jazz at times. Mm. Uh, you know, kind of pan genre like acoustic band, mm-hmm. and then and then the third thing that struck me about this album was just the 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 melodies, like like the thing that Eric was kind of yeah. homing in on is is this is a band that's in tune with the fact that when you when you make a memorable melody, it's it's actually one of the harder things to do in music. You know, it's 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 not easy, but it's easier to learn scales and to be impressive and to be impressive and showy and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. What's really hard is to get past all of that and think about what sounds good and what's memorable and what, what's an earworm and sticks in your you ear. You start to get really into the creativity aspect of absolutely. That you've heard a, a thousand and one uh, melodies before now create a new one now make a new one yeah yeah that 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 somebody's gonna wake up in the morning and it's gonna be pounded through their head yeah and if it's a really good one yeah that's that's a difficult thing to do so Darren you and I love uh, a lot of different genres but one of the ones that we love is 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 bluegrass and in in acoustic folk and that kind of thing mm-hmm. yep. and um, I think when when we both started listening to this in earnest this album Cascade by Wes Corbett. Um, we were both instantly hooked. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah, it's a great recording. It's, it's one of those that I, um, when we were going through this and we we picked it tonight, we always talk about okay, what are some highlight songs? And I was just like, I don't even know the songs on this album because I always just hit like play album yeah. and then yeah. it runs through and I yeah. enjoy the whole thing. I don't really know exactly standout yeah. songs, but but we did take the time to to run through it quickly and. Um, and it just if you want a a uh, a cool sample and want to just kind of sample it really quickly, um, uh, a song called "Stan Lee." Stan Lee is maybe my seems favorite melody. Pretty yeah. pretty awesome and a good taste of what this album has yeah. to offer. The first track on the album is a ripper, and it starts with a rip and banjo part, 
and you don't get the idea immediately that this is uh, a, a pretty good recording, that this is an audio file recording, only because a banjo is basically like a snare drum on a guitar. Like it's it's kind of like it's got this one kilohertz character that just shines big. I remember, you know, recording a lot of bluegrass bands. You got to be careful where that banjo is pointed because if mm. it's pointed directly at a microphone, it's going to drown out like, you know, it's going to be louder than the other instruments mm. and that kind of thing. Um, and so and so the first thing, you know, it's it starts pretty pretty fast i think he i think wes wants to set like a uh precedent for like you know pay attention or something like that you know when you're mastering you're always thinking about the first track on the album like what what's the grabber or whatever well honestly for me with with enough time with this album i i love the maturity of the melodies of in, in the in the um kind of uh presentation of the rest of the album i love that first track but i do find myself skipping that first track on the first time that i play this album and then when it plays back through, I usually listen to this thing twice. I mean, because it's great, to, you know, it's great to have on this kind of music floating through the house. But um, anyway, don't be scared off by that first track. The, the whole thing is just a, a, an immense, an immense compositional work. Um, so uh, as always, we're going to have this album on our, on our website. It's going to be featured on the front page. Our website is uh, net. We're going to have uh, the latest episode, which is this one that you're already listening to, but we're going to have this album below with a few words about it and then uh, a link to our albums page where we have uh, all the albums that we've recommended uh, prior. But um, I think that wraps up uh, a rather lengthy but but really worthwhile episode from us. We, again, really appreciate all of the questions that we've gotten from everybody. Um, keep the questions coming. Keep the tips coming. Send them to hi-fi at outlook.com. And with that, this has been another episode of the Hi-Fi Podcast with Darren and Duncan. I am Duncan. I'm Darren. And we will catch you next time. See you. Bye. The Hi-Fi Podcast with Darren and Duncan produced by Darren Myers and Duncan Taylor in his copyright 2020 of Slope Productions. The intro and outro music is provided by Denver's Color Red Studios and features the song Bangs by the band Many Colors.